And so I had to be retrained to understand that it's like, this is the work and this is, this is me and this is my world. This is my house. This is my family. This is my friends. And what it did was open up space for those other things to really thrive in a new way. You know, maybe they were fine, but my relationship to those things certainly feels like it has more room to breathe, you know. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, and I am Yvonne Marchese, your host. Today, I'm talking to Shannon Paris, the Community Advocate and Operations Director at the What Works Network, where I'm a member. And uh, she's a total rock star. I can tell you she is a natural connector. She makes it look so easy to bring together a group of diverse small business owners in this community where we share our tips, tools, and frustrations and triumphs. And she's always looking for ways to keep the community engaged. Now, formerly, Shannon was a buyer for 10,000 Villages, which is a fair trade retail nonprofit organization. And during that time, she saw firsthand the amazing effects of business ownership on artisans in developing economies. And she identified herself heavily with her career. So when she was laid off a few years ago, she found herself a little at sea. We talk about her transition to a career as community manager in a digital workspace that she didn't even know existed, and how that has become a place for her to truly grow into herself. She's discovered that her passion for transforming lives and economies through business leadership is one that she can take with her wherever she lands. Let's go. Oh, Miss Shannon, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, so excited. excited. (laughs) Me too. Awesome. Very cool. So um, first of all, of course, a shout out to Tara and What Works. Um, And uh, because that is, of course, how I found you and all your fabulousness. Thank you. Yeah, Um, back at you. Thank you. Um, So my goodness, where should we start? We gotta we gotta talk about your whole story and how you come to your here and now. And yeah. uh, tell me where you. Let's start with what you were doing before you became the community manager for What Works. And, sure. Yeah. Uh, what that changeover was like. Well, and I always say it was a flowery path because I've done a lot of things. I started it all. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I studied architecture at Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia. Oh my gosh. I forgot you told me that. Yeah. Wow. Never went into architecture. I've always followed like my passions and my instincts. Um, I ended up, I mean, but sometimes life happens and guides you on that path as well. So I'd lived in Savannah for a long time. I was involved in the art and music scene down there. Um, and then I ended up back in Pennsylvania where my family is and where I was from. And I ended up starting a, a little newsstand, a little brick and mortar newsstand. I did that for like five years. That was what I call business 101. Wow. And that was just kind of in a, I don't want to work for anybody. And this opportunity, it's a whole story unto itself, came unto me to start that uh, kind of really on the cheap. I got, I did it for five years. 
it was time to move on. I was gave that my... fresh out of college? Oh no, this was like I'd been in Savannah for about a decade or so. Okay, I like moved there when I was eighteen. Uh huh. Went to school, stayed another six years after school. Oh, you stayed a long time. I after. Stayed a long time. It's a beautiful place. I loved yeah, it. It yeah. is gorgeous. Yeah, and then I, um, so I I was doing this business. Uh huh. And I was burnt, crispy. And mm-hmm. I gave, but I came up with an exit strategy. I gave myself a year to sell the business, mm-hmm. to try and sell the business. And in the meantime, I ended up actually taking a job at Borders Books and Music, if you remember Borders, oh, yeah. which is where I had my fateful um Meeting with Tara McMullen. We were co-workers there, uh, both managing the place. And so I gave myself that year, didn't manage to sell the business, uh-huh. but ended up closing it. I was at the end of my lease. Uh-huh. I had no debt. So I could just oh, nice. close the doors, Clean. sold off my inventory, mm-hmm. gave my cooler and equipment away to a family member, and it was clean. Done. So. Yeah. That was a great What a lesson. great way to walk away, actually, right? No debt and just a yep. All time done to now. pull the gate down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One last time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from there, um, retail was always the fallback. I this was a retail store, and now I was at Porter's doing the big box thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really also wanted to get into sort of nonprofit work at that time is what I started to think about. How do I serve? How do I take my talents and start to bring service into the world with them? Um, And my, my dad had gone through a heart transplant at that time. And so that had also like put that idea of giving back into my spirit. How old were you at this point? I was 32 Uh uh when he got his heart. Wow. And um, yeah, it was 2002. So now we know how old I am. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I ended up getting a job at 10,000 Villages, which is a fair trade nonprofit um, organization that works with artisans in the developing world who are working, making handicrafts and jewelry. But then 10,000 Villages also has retail stores and e-commerce where they sell those products. So it's the full supply chain. So working with the producers on the ground up, looking at the labor practices um, in the context where they're working, then bringing those markets from that level to the warehouse at 10,000 Villages and out into the marketplace to the end point in the customer's home. Wow. So, and you were a buyer for them, right? And you were yes. involved on the maker end of things and yes. traveled a lot, right? I did. I well, and I did two things. The first half of my career there, I was on the retail side. Oh, that was okay. how I got into it ah. from all my retail mm-hmm. stuff and my architecture. I got into visual merchandising and store design. Oh, okay. So we had a network of 80 stores. I got to travel across the US and meet like-minded people passionate about fair trade all over the country, helping to promote the brand standards, making this, you know, according to the, what should the store look like and, Uh um, you know, how to sell product with display. And then I shifted in the second half of my career there to the buyer position, which was specifically working 
um, with our producers in India because it was such a huge region and such a huge number of products. One person was sort of overseeing that piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So I would spend about a month each year on the ground, um, just all over India, working with like umbrella organizations, like export organizations, as well as going out and meeting with individual producers, makers to talk about what their materials and techniques and product design and sampling and looking at the context, cracking open the books to see how they were paying the workers, you know, Uh talking with the makers themselves to understand if, you know, what change business and, and um, income generation was making in their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for women, women who were able to work outside of their home yeah. Or even if they were able to take that work into their home, but to have money in their hands to yes. take agency in a way that was very different and also in many cases not culturally the norm was um, really important to understand. So, Do you have any favorite um, stories from that time? Oh, my god! Is there gosh. anything you could pull up uh, on a whim? I didn't warn you. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, it just occurred to me. That would be cool. Yeah, no. Uh, my favorite story, because you just want to make me cry, I guess. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but it's it's kind of a great story for the time. Um, but we worked with a group of producers um, who were in a neighborhood in Delhi, Kajuri Khas, Um, which was a slum neighborhood, but like huge, like the biggest slum neighborhood. Um, I think it was at least a half a million people. Um, But so this was a small group. It was um, 14 people. The first time I visited them, there was 14 people working in the workshop. And now they had a long history of connection, their family having a connection to fair trade. Um, So they'd maybe 20 some years prior had made rugs that -hmm. were sold to the organization. And they, but they lived in a village at that time and they were Muslim and they were being persecuted Mm -hmm. as a minority in that village to the Mm -hmm. point where people were being killed. Mm -hmm. So they emigrated to the city, Delhi, in order to escape that persecution, um, and found themselves needing something to do. So they went back to the export organization that had helped them connect with us prior and said, we need a new skill. We need new income. How can you? And so they set them up with jewelry making Mm -hmm. and specifically they working with bone jewelry, which is usually like from deceased animals, Mm -hmm. uh, camel and water buffalo. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, this, the umbrella organization terror projects got them, um, set up with that. And then they took us to visit them. And it was really the first time they had taken Western buyers in to see the workshop in this slum. Cause it was, it was definitely, um, dicey, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the conditions and the presence of outsiders. Cause I would definitely be seen as somebody other coming mm-hmm. in. Uh-huh. And I was nervous and it just so happened that president Obama was visiting and there was a ton of extra security in the city. Oh, wow. So things were very, very locked down, but here we are going in and 
we end up at this workshop and it was the best visit. It was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, great from a business perspective, great from meeting people, hearing their stories. So the next year uh, we visited again and we went to visit them. And at the end of our sort of business and product visit, the uh, owner um, invited us to go up on the roof for a ceremony and they had trees for us to plant like a little rubber tree um, that just to celebrate our being there. And I looked and I realized there was the, his father himself and his daughter who were all working and their lives, our lives were just connected like through generations of fair trade of like working towards, you know, justice and poverty alleviation and, you know, Uh. finding a better way forward that wasn't the status quo. And I got, you know, all emotional. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's right. It's like there in front of you in real terms. I mean, it's one thing to think fair trade and, and, uh, imagine, okay, great. This is helping people like, people, I'll put in air quotes, but then when you see those lives in front of you, like living, breathing, wow. And Uh, so I started to cry and then he started to cry and then we were all crying and it it just, and I remember exchanging, his name was Nassim and his wife's name was Nassima. Uh And I just, you know, we didn't speak the same language. I just remember holding her hand and like, just looking into each other's eyes and wow. and just feeling this connection and this emotion and just so many barriers being crossed culturally mm-hmm. structurally economically privilege mm-hmm. and and so that's my that's a story where i just i i see the difference that intentional work for justice can make through the generations. And so that, that's, that's the kind of thing that feeds me yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So. Wow. I was just, you see, you're getting me all gushy too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, so you were there. Um, how long were you in that role? The travel and. So I did that side. for three and a half, four years, mm-hmm. that part of it. I did the other work for about six or seven years. So mm-hmm. um, 11 years altogether there. Wow. Yeah. And so what happened ultimately is that I was laid off mm. and it, it was like, now I'm kind of glad I told that story now, even if it took a little extra time, because it, that was the level of like engagement and commitment that I felt with that work. Mm-hmm. You know, like it felt vocational. It felt like a calling. Yeah. And so when I was laid off, I was devastated. I you know. Bet. And it was the condition of retail at the time, you know, like, I mean, and now we're seeing that even with grander right. effect what, here. What year was that, that you were laid off? 2017. Okay. 2017. Yeah. At the beginning, January, 2017. Yeah. 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 Retail is taking a hit, huh? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So... So I found myself at a point of, I was so immersed in, like you were, had mentioned pain points at some point. And like, I was so immersed in that story of doing that work, of identifying myself with that work. Mm -hmm. That was a very specific mission. 
Yes. You know, when I told you what that organization did, I was saying the mission. And I thought that was my mission. Mm-hmm. So when I was laid off, I felt adrift. I felt like my purpose had been taken away. Sure. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. So that was like, that was the work, a lot of the, besides like, you know, just having to bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan and pay the bills. Sure, of course. And then, but to have meaning to what you do, um, so important. I mean, yeah. I, I feel silly even comparing this <laughs> because it was so self-serving, but when, you know, I, all I had ever wanted to do was um, theater I, that for so many years. And when I, um, I stepped away from it because I was, I was, I was done and mm-hmm. I was, I was changing and I was starting to, wonder what I could do beyond that, where I could make a contribution. I, it had all been about me, me, me for so many years, you know? Um, but to step away from that, as you said, feeling adrift, I was, I felt adrift for probably six to eight years. Mm. Yes. Somewhere in there. Long time. Long time before I found photography, which gave me a whole other outlet. And again, I feel even silly comparing it because you're doing this work of, you know, free trade and impacting people's lives. Yeah, but a, but uh, the story of the seasons mm-hmm. that we have in our life is constant, right? I mean, right. I didn't get into the whole story of why did I leave Savannah and move back to Pennsylvania, but that was another situation where life sort of gave me a kick in the pants and said, you're moving on. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. will be moving on from this, this. And, um, and I felt in that scenario, I felt adrift for years. Yeah. I definitely, like I can relate to that, that feeling. And it, it wasn't, you know, necessary. That's still valid no matter what the setting it's in. Yeah. You know, and what the end result is. Right. Yeah. How did you end up then reconnecting with Tara and and taking on because that was what came up next for you, right? You right. left yeah. once you were done with um uh 10,000 villages. villages, that's when you then stepped into what works and in your position yeah. now. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, you got it. 100%. Yep. So what was that transition like? Yeah. So just sort of, um, I feel like there were multiple threads of, like I said, you know, you have to pay the bills, you pay, you know, paying, paying the bills and keeping the house and the household going and sort of the self-identity things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got some, I, I'm a, I can hustle when I need to. So I, I, I had like multiple part-time jobs, you know, consulting or doing store display for a friend or making sidewalk signs, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. I showed uh-huh. up. I was like, I will take it and unemployment and all the things. But in that time I was like, all right, I've got a little bit of income keeping me afloat. I need to find my next thing. I need to find my purpose. And I'm not going to say that all those things happen cohesively in this process, but they process, but they all started to work towards each other. Um, two of my mantras in this time were never say never, 
and talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I was hustling. I was like, my friend was like, you want to do a side? Can you come help me do display? And would you do this sidewalk? I was like, you bet I will climb that 11 foot ladder and hang that hammock <laughs> from the 20 foot ceilings, or, which sounds like it wouldn't even work, but I would do, I was ready and willing to do whatever just to, because it was an opportunity to get out, to stay busy, to make some money, to meet people. Mm hmm to evaluate what I wanted to do next. Did I want to do more of what I had done in the past? Did I want to do something totally different? You know, did I want to do something that was a next evolution of what I had done in the past? Like what, just experiment and take that found time to explore. Yeah. Um, so part of my talk to everyone was like, just calling up folks and being like, I got time. You want to have coffee? <laughs> So Tara was an old friend and I just reached out. I said, Hey, can we have coffee? And, and I said, guess what? I got laid off and she was, I'll never forget this. And I love her to death for it. She said, well, that was stupid of them. <laughs> Indeed. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so we just had a great coffee and I, we'd been following each other. She knew about 10,000 villages and um, I knew what she was doing it, but it was, I just knew of it. And it was this crazy thing in the digital world where she wrote books and blogged and she I worked with interesting and, she, and I'd see her on social media. Yeah. And I was like, what? I, but I didn't understand it. I didn't uh -huh. understand it at all. So she reached out to me shortly and after and said, you know, I don't know. It's might be below your pay grade. It might be not enough hours for you, but I might have something part-time community management wise. I was like, I do not know what an online community manager is. Do tell me more because <laughs> never say never. Mm -hmm. So as we continued to talk, I eventually said, well, here's what I need. I, you know, this is career time. I need full time. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, this is what I need for the business. I need someone in this position full time to take, help me take this community to where I want it to go. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of set a timeline with checkpoints all along the way to say, is, you know, is this working for both of us, both of us being able to step out of it if we needed to. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really exciting because it was this whole new sphere, this digital world that I knew nothing about, but it was a place to apply my people skills. Yeah. Because whether you're talking to Nasima and Nassim mm -hmm. on the ground in India, the point is, is, or you're talking to Yvonne or Linda or whomever at the What Works Network, mm -hmm. you're trying to understand where they're at, what they're doing, what impact it's making in their life and in other people's lives and how you can support them. Yes. How you can make the connections that they need in order to keep moving forward, whatever that growth looks like for them. So, right. and this is clearly where you shine. I, I love it. Yes. I, yes. I yes. love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love to see the whole, you know, what do they say about the boats? Rising tides lift all boats. That's right. I love that story, that feeling. So, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. have you, what have you learned about yourself in this, uh, new role as community manager? Well, there's, I, and this is what I was thinking about as I was preparing for our conversation too. There are the specifics of the role, but it's also like the change from 
working for a nonprofit, that identity piece of I am the mission mm-hmm. for this, this like this cause, you know, that has like this reverent feel around it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas what I learned, if we were to break it down, that is their mission and that is what they do. And I helped move that forward. My mission, I like to help people. Mm-hmm. And that can look a whole lot of different ways, mm-hmm. right? It can look like community management. Yeah. In, and, I mean, yeah. I will tell you just, you know, you're making a difference in people's lives even, even now. It's a, cause, and I'm, I'm just speaking for me, um, trying to learn how to do, how to run a small business with when I have no MBA, I have no business background. It's it's it makes a, a huge difference in my wee little life to have access to all these other people and how they're doing things and how that works. And so kudos to what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I just got all gushy. <laughs> oh, I, don't make I'm keeping it together. I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> That's so, what it's all about. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah. it's amazing. It's it's so funny how we tie ourselves up in um in in an image of ourselves, right? Yeah. Um and it's I'm not yeah. sure where I'm going with that, other than you know, I think sometimes I tend to confuse what I do with who I am. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's something, so beyond just being the community manager or advocate, whatever we call it, in the What Works Network, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to work in a startup small business. Yeah. For someone who, like Tara, who looks at work in a whole different way. Right. And facilitates my employment in a whole different way than what I was used to Mm -hmm. is like explosively different from where I had come from, from this corporate background, this sort of nonprofit, you know, they call it the starvation mentality. Like, of course you'll work 30 days straight with no breaks from 7 a.m. till 10, 11, 12 midnight traveling wherever we send you because the mission I'm not saying I don't believe in it and I right. was, I enjoyed doing it but there's a point where it's not healthy mm-hmm. and so I had to be retrained to understand that it's like this is the work and this is this is me and this is my world. This is my house. This is my family. This are my friends. And what it did was open up space for those other things to really thrive in a new way. You know, maybe they were fine, but my relationship to those things certainly feels like it has more room to breathe, you know, and that, 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 that is part of what, we as an organization want for each other Absolutely. to be whole people. That That's what I love about it. That's what comes across uh, for sure. Um, has, and, and I mean, you, you've got a whole uh, other part of your life, which is music, right? Oh yeah. 
Well, yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, how does that weave itself into this whole bigger picture? Like, how does that weave in? Uh, yeah, I'm always just doing it. That is like, it's so funny because I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm not that like, it's such a part of my DNA. Like singing is what I do. That's my main instrument, my voice and, um, and ukulele do play the ukulele. Um, I started uh, to try to learn, but I just haven't had the, I just haven't made, I should say, not that I haven't had the time. I haven't made the time to keep going with it, you know, but such a fun little instrument. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just loved (laughs) it. I have a picture of me holding the ukulele for the very first time. Someone put it in my hands and I'm like, it's like a newborn baby. I'm like, oh, look at you. You're so cute. And then I was like, ding, ding. And they're like, here's how you play a C chord. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. So, um. Yeah. So I'm always doing some little project, whether it's, it's not usually ever been about like making it big or, and probably to my own chagrin, I do not have much recorded anywhere, but I'm, it's probably so much about being in the moment with people with music. Like there's such a telepathy Mm -hmm. and a connection that happens when you're making music with people. That's like, that's what I love. It's all about connection. I'm just like, that's what yeah. drives me and everything. But music is such a in the moment connection that's happening on all these. It's sort of, and, it, and it's um, one of those sort of sublime things where things are happening on all these different levels and you let go of consciousness for those things to really thrive. I'm sure you feel that in mm. photography in the flow. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, when you're absolutely. really flowing. Yeah, because you've done the work and had a had a fun session, you know, and it was it, it was just like, oh, oh, look at that light. Look at that background. Let's go over there. It's you know? exciting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's go do that, you know, and then yeah. literally I'll click the shutter. And when I and I get a little shiver that goes up my spine and I'm like, yeah, we got that one. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's and Love it's interesting flow. because it's ephemeral. Mm-hmm. So in the flow, it's happening in a moment and it's about process and it's about experience. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe I lean too much towards that, finding those moments rather than like documenting and archiving like what happened. And cause I'm always just like, look, looking for the next opportunity to, to make music with someone. Yeah. So yeah. It sounds like it's working for you. I, you know, I mean, if you, if you really feel the need to document, I'm sure you would. Right. Yeah. Cause that's who you are. You're somebody yeah. who gets things done. So yeah. maybe for you, it, I mean, th- that's one of the things I used to love about theater was the, that ephemeral thing. And it wasn't recorded. It was an experience. It was, it was being in community with, uh, with all those other people putting that show together, mm-hmm. let's, put the, let's put on a show. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the end it's done and that's it. It's done. Yeah. It's yeah. a memory. You it know? is a memory. It was yeah. an experience and, uh, and that's it. And that experience is going to inform the next experience somehow, some way yes. you may, there will be some detail of that, that either a learning or an exciting thing or, or a fault or, or a trip up, something is mm-hmm. going to inform the next experience. You got to keep moving to find out, to keep learning. 
you know, yeah. sort of keep taking it to the next level. That's life, yeah. baby. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then now, so you've been with, uh, with Tara, has it been like two, three years now? Three and a half. How does time go by so fast, right? Is that Three right? years? A pandemic time. I can't tell time. I know. I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> three years, a little over three years. Wow. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. cool. And then yeah. you've, you've kind of moved back towards that. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, well, you've, you're on the board now, right. For revolution Lancaster that, um, and so you've gone back to the nonprofit. Yeah. So I've had my toe right. in some nonprofit work along the way. I was even consulting with a local history museum. Um, I was like helping them with their museum store. So sort of applying those retail Uh, things again to that. Um, And then a member, a former member of our What Works Network, uh, who turned out to be my neighbor, like one block away neighbor. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. She joined the network to work on her and her husband's um, design brand and branding and design business. But when we, since we were close, we had the chance to have coffee together. And she told me more about um, a group she was with called Revolution Lancaster, which you can find at revolutionlancaster.com, is a jewelry um, company. It's a nonprofit who works with local women. Um, who are facing homelessness or other barriers or have faced homelessness, teaching them to make jewelry and then selling it through our website and through um, other wholesalers like retail stores, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. So just got to talking with her and feeling like there was an opportunity to bring some of that sort of more concrete um, product and retail and wholesale experience to bear. Um and then joined the board last June. So wow. yeah, just oh really gosh. starting to get into it, like trying to understand what it means to be a board member. It's sort of an, it, that's a new first time for me. So mm-hmm. how do I make sure I'm making space for that um, and showing up in a way that's useful, right? Et so you know, going back, so I'm going to take a little step back to yeah. to me, um, you mentioning that that's something new for you. And I think we kind of skipped over this. We, we kind of skimmed past one of the things that I really like to focus on, which is, so I won't make you say your age when you started with what works, but in midlife, having to take on doing something radically different actually from what you had been doing at least in the trappings at least in the industry is different and all of a sudden you're dealing with all this tech and how was it for you to step in and and have to be a beginner at uh, something well it's so interesting because (laughs) I don't know if you saw the newsletter today that Tara put out but it was her her post about um how to do the hard work when you're learning a new skill. Uh, and she I talked need to, to check that yeah, out. Yeah, and she talked about different things she learned when she was climbing, things she mm. and just this the idea of there is a mindset that you you need to nurture mm-hmm. around learning new things. Mm-hmm. Um and so 
I was already pretty comfortable with tech at a, like, I'm pretty tech savvy. I can usually hop in and figure things out to a point. I'm not building websites or anything like that. Right. So I was just excited. So I, I think excitement and and interest, being curious about what was what was possible uh-huh. um, and seeing how things all fit together was really exciting. Um, the fact that there were people to know and to meet at like, it's not just technology and it's not just code. It's, it's about the people that this tech supports relationships was also helpful for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is definitely something to be said because I was, as I was reading Tara's post this morning and the, and her mindset when she was learning how to climb, I was thinking about how last year I um, signed up uh, for a program at University of Pennsylvania and I got into it and I was trying to reflect if the downfall of that for me, <laughs> because I lasted a couple, three, four weeks and I was, I backed out. Uh huh. I okay. was like, and I've been reflecting like since then, like, is it would like, was it my mindset? It it just was a ton of work. Okay. So it could have just been a lack of bandwidth. It might've been a lack of bandwidth, but I do wonder, did I not prepare myself for learning? Mm, like, did yes. I not cultivate the soil and mm. prepare it? to mm-hmm. learn. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of like bandwidth for sure in that I was just like overwhelmed at the time. And in retrospect, that is a good learning to remind me that there is more than just showing up. Yeah. I have thing. a theory that, you know, as, as people in midlife, you you come to a certain point and you've got You've got a lot of stuff handled like that. You've got a lot of things that you, you know how to do. You're, you, you got it, you know, and there's, um, there's comfort in that. There's something about just keeping to doing, keeping on doing the do. And, um, and I think that it's, can be really tricky to step into something new. I, I mean, I speak from experience. Uh, it can be, it can, and, 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 and it makes you, it puts you in this position where it's so uncomfortable. Um, I think we, ha- you have that experience. I mean, for me, I, as a younger person stepping into something new, I certainly had that experience. Of course, anytime you're going to do something new, you're going to, there's a discomfort, but I think we, we feel like we should have our ducks in a row by now. Yes. You know, yeah. and uh, I think we can get in our own way mm-hmm. um, because it's like just from not wanting to look like a newbie, not wanting yeah. to right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that you like, and I think the reason it was successful when I came into what works was a things were set up really well. Mm -hmm. I think that the onboarding process was wonderful. And I think there has to be for what you're saying, I think there has to be some humility Mm -hmm. and you have to sort of release that comfort and that wanting to be seen as either competent or an expert mm-hmm. in order to like be able to fully enter into that learning state. Yes. Yeah. 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 
I think it, I, I was excited young, though. Yeah, you know? totally. Like if you, if you can embrace stepping into something that is new and scary and, uh, you know, you get the, you get the, the butterflies in your stomach and the whole like, oh, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm learning all these new things for me. I'm, I'm a learning junkie. So I, for me, it's very exciting to, to, to take on new things like that. Oh, same well, time as and, and I've often done that in my life where I'm like, okay, this might seem weird to somebody else, but when am I going to, here's the question I'll ask. When am I going to get the chance again? Mm, yeah. Like that's a big question for me. Yeah. Maybe this sounds weird that I'm going to go do this thing, but mm-hmm. when am I going to get the chance to do it again? You right. know, and same even with learning. So I'd been in, you know, retail for years and years and years. I, in some form or, or another, I mean, even at 10,000 Villages, I was still in the retail sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and this 10,000 Villages was an old organization. It was established in 1946, like its oh, beginnings. Wow. The roots yeah. of it were from 1946. Wow. With this, you know, um, and fair trade is an older, older movement. And, and what I was seeing, like, in the long term was what Tara was inviting me into was way more innovative, way more cutting edge. And mm-hmm. when was I going to get the chance to be yeah. invited in to learn from the ground up on something like that. Cause that gets harder at our age too. Yes. Right. Like to get that invitation. Yes. Yes, it does. Oh my because God. Because of the stereotypes of that mindset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So yes. I'm reading up. I mean, I'm the more I'm doing, the more, you know, I've been, uh, what is, uh, I don't know which episode your number is going to be when it, when it lands out in the world, but I've been 20 something episodes by now and I am finding, thank you. Thank you. That was silent applause people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what I'm finding is, uh, um, what started off as like a, a curiosity about what it is to be in midlife and, 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 uh, and trying something new and, and, and not, not settling, not kind of just saying, well, this is who I am, you know, just that whole idea of, Hey, we're not dead yet. Let's keep, let's keep rolling. And, and what I, the more I'm reading and the more I'm researching and trying to find guests and looking into other, uh, looking at books that are studying this, I, I more and more feel like I want to rejigger the conversation around aging mm. and, and what people 50, 40s, 50s plus, what we have to offer still, because we have so much time ahead of us still, you know? Yeah. And to think that so many people, um, have had maybe really successful careers and are now being offered packages to step back from a career where they were incredibly successful. And then, you know, it's that whole ageism thing. So like you said, how often are you going to get offered that opportunity to step into something so cutting edge at an age? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, but then I think too, it's not just other people, um, limiting those opportunities for us. It's us too. It's, it's, it's the self-imposed limitations um, that I think we all need to get past. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So good on you for stepping in, girl. You got to keep that up, though, because we all ebb and flow in those oh, you know, yeah. in our abilities to push our own boundaries on those things, right? Oh, yeah. You know, or also the luck of combined with the luck of finding those situations. But I think you you stumble into those things more often if you're open. Yes. Right. One of my one of my last um, jobs where uh, where I was an employee somewhere, my the my boss um, is just one of my favorite people still. And one of the things that he um, would often say was, "Why not?" That was kind of his mantra. Um, he has a very entrepreneurial mindset, and um, mm-hmm. his 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 way of stepping into something is to say, why not? And I was like, oh, I love that. I'm totally going to adopt that. And I, I try as often as I can, you know, uh, I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, why well, not? why not? Which is kind of like my never say never. Right. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the other things that has been helpful on this journey is to get really clear Mm. and to sort of cut out background noise. Ooh, tell me more about this. Well, I've just tried to be more, as I get older, being of a certain age, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this in terms of like one of the benefits of our age is like all the experience and all the, um, insights, which can be wisdom that you bring to bear on situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when, so I like going through something kind of almost traumatic with getting laid off from this thing that felt vocational, that was so important mm-hmm. to me being brought into this new sort of working situation where I'm, you know, the, idea of being a whole person is really respected mm-hmm. and nurtured mm-hmm. as you know, that's, that's what, it, that's, that's what makes a great employee is someone who is nurtured as a whole person mm-hmm. um, helped to create, it created space to be able to look at what I really want to do. Mm. It created space to make music. It created space to get involved in, the different causes that are interesting to me. Yeah. You know, I hear your kitty in the hear, background, I know. by the way. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. She's of a certain age herself. So Shannon warned me that we might hear the kitty cat in the background. I actually love it. Um, so when you were talking about um, leading into this part of the conversation, you were talking about getting rid of the noise. Do you think that maybe the noise that you've been able to eliminate is the noise of um, having taken on their mission that maybe their mission was their mission, the noise. And now you've had a chance to step up and find your own. No, I think. Is that it? Yes. I like that. Um, But I think it's the noise of conventional expectations. Oh, yes. The noise of expectations in an office of what Uh it means to work. 
what work <laughs> means, what achievement means, what accomplishment means, what growth mm. means to identity. Uh, yes. You no, know, like I don't have to climb the ladder to accomplishing. And that's kind of always been my MO. I mean, I certainly want to be successful. I want to be able to live the house. Well, but I want to define success in my own way. For me, that means being able to live in a house that I'm happy with and be with people that I'm happy with and that I can nurture the relationships that are important to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't always walk that straight path of, or climb that ladder. Mm -hmm. So those stories are what we're brought up with. Yes. Yes. So I and feel like the story yeah. of, of that success. I mean, I, I think there's a story that failure is bad. Right. You know, and, and I think that uh, we limit ourselves from, there's the noise of needing to look successful. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, being afraid to take a step into something because what if I fail, I'm going to, how is that going to look? How am I going to look? And instead of, I guess we're, I'm not sure where I got off on this, but um, we seem to be taught that failure is bad. And, and instead of looking at it as like, no, that, that's opportunity. That's like the chance to, to learn as you, I think you mentioned before. I was talking about that in music, like, Yes. Each, each ephemeral experience has that, has different moments in it that are going to teach you and inform the next ephemeral experience. Yes. Right? Be it a, be it something that was exciting and greater or something that tanked and yeah. now is going to inform that next experience. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Whew. Yeah. And I was thinking about that also in terms of because you and I talked before this and I was thinking about it again today, getting nervous about like, you know, there's always like, what are the, what's the next five years hold for you? And what, <laughs> you know, what, what's the future? And I'm, I, what I've realized is like, it's okay to enjoy this moment. I'm not denying the need to plan for your future, but I also worked really hard to get right here right now mm -hmm. with that work on identity with, um, you know, you know, work on personal issues with mm -hmm. the work on that I've done here at my job, you know, um, last year, well, I spent about a year fixing up my old house and it was always my dream to live close by the water. Um, and I ended up moving into this newer house in January. Well, new, new to me, it's built in 1840. So oh. I moved into this awesome historic house in this little fun, beautiful town on the Susquehanna river in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Like yeah. I've done, it's been a busy three and a half years, you know, yeah. it's been a busy season and there's a lot going on in the world. <laughs> yes. So I'm not, I'm not buying into this story that I have to now plan what my next big thing is. I'm kind of enjoying what I have right now. Yeah. Not that I'm, like I said, not that I'm denying the need to plan and grow, but mm -hmm. I feel like we spend so much time working, working, climbing, climbing, achieving, growing, growing. It's like, well, when do you get to enjoy what you're working for? Right. Like, is that going to be when, after I'm dead? Right. You know? Oh my gosh. Like, such a good point. Yeah. 
If you're always, I mean, I do find I'm so future driven that I really do have to be very conscientious about (laughs) taking a step back to doing that. Like, oh, wow, I do have it really good right now, you know? And, but there'll be different seasons, right? Right. Oh yeah. Cause I wouldn't be here if I didn't have seasons like that, that got me here. Yeah. It's 50, 50. You got, you know, you got, everybody's got their season for, you know, you got some good stuff going on in your life and then you got the the crapper stuff going on in your life and that's going to happen for all of us. And you never know when. Right. And yeah. Oh man. Just trying to, trying to just enjoy. I, I guess it's like, I've heard it from a couple of different places, of course, on being, it's one of my favorite, favorite um, podcasts. Uh, I think she was, I wish I could remember who she was interviewing. It was a uh, rabbi and he was talking about finding joy. And he was like, of course, you're not going to find happiness in everything and all the, you know, there's, there's bad stuff that happens in the world, but you can find joy in every moment. You can, you can find uh, something to be joyful about in every moment. It doesn't have, you don't have to be joyful about everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. What do we bring to the moment? Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Do you... Um, well, I mean, as long as we're talking about on being and stuff like that, what, what do you, what, what are you reading, watching? What, what has, has there been anything that has been like a book that you can look to or um, some movie that rocked your world that has kind of formed your sensibilities and who you are? Well, this will make perfect sense. This is what I was thinking about before we talked. Um, two books that I wrote down thinking about this were, um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Do you know that by uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes? I have heard of it, but I have not read it. Ooh, okay. All right, good. Uh, Put and it's, it on it's one of those books that I always have, and I'll just dip in and I'll open and it. Um, but she sort of explores um, myth, but kind of with a feminist lens. And she looks at stories and storytelling and sort of breaks that down to look at what it's saying about the psyche of women. And so there's always a lot of growth opportunity just by reading it. It's kind of like an Oracle for me. Um, Whenever I dip into one of those stories. It's one that I've heard mentioned a lot and and has not ever made it to my book list for some reason. So that's going on. That's going on. Okay. That's one that I've definitely bought and given bought and given away, you know, Uh like had Uh multiple copies of as is Siddhartha. Uh, by Herman Hesse. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't read that in a long time. I need to go back to that. I've read that many, many times. And yeah. I have, I think I have two copies right now because I've given away so many that I ended up thinking <laughs> I didn't have one and bought an extra one. So, yeah. Um, but I, I do that. That is definitely a book about mindfulness and presence. And um, so living here by the river now, I love that. Like I'll just go and sit by the river and listen and, and, especially at the beginning um, of the pandemic, it was just a place where I could go and just feel like nature was kind of above all of the noise, uh, yeah. all of the complications 
that we put upon each other with everything that's happening in the country and in the world. So that is, that is a story that is highly influential on me. Yeah, definitely. Wow. And what are you reading now or what do you, any movies, any shows you're binging on? Well, I'm, I'm binging Schitt's Creek. Oh, are you? All right. (laughs) I love it. They're such great characters and they're just silly and they're, they're having fun. I mean, they're just great. They're just super fun. It's a fun show. Um, yeah, I think that that would be the one that I'm, I'm enjoying the most right now. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. So I'm going to put a bunch of, uh, put a bunch of links in the show notes for people to go check out your, your favorite stuff. So my gosh, thank you so much for, yeah. for being here with me. And oh, thank what are you, you excited about? What's coming up for you? I mean, we've talked about um, the Revolution Lancaster, which is yeah. so cool. I, I yeah. went to the website. and You know, one of the things that really struck me about that, let me just share with you. I love this. It was in the about section on it. It was talking about how the founders um, went in. It said they would braid hair, paint nails, and listen Many of the women at the shelter mentioned that they had not had positive physical touch in a long time. Hmm. That, that just like, (laughs) oh my gosh. Yeah. The community piece was really where it started. They were going in to have just community nights with women for women. And they were, like I said, painting nails and braiding hair, just, just to provide an opportunity. And, um, and that evolved into the jewelry making as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the pandemic, that's really fallen apart. So unfortunately, wow. that is that too bad because just, what they were doing is teaching yeah. women to make jewelry so that that could be sold. And then those women have some income from that jewelry. Right. right. Yes. And, again, and that agency. is still, that is started back up. Oh, good. So that piece is slowly, um, we, you know, working in um, with social distance and masks. Mm-hmm. Those workshops happen once a week. Um, but the community nights haven't been able to pick back up yet. And yeah. we're, not, we're not really sure what, what that'll look like. But in, it's still part of our DNA. So we'll see what that'll evolve into as, right. as everything shifts. But that is what I'm really excited about. Um, really enjoying that. Uh, we're in two weeks, Lancaster County where I live in Pennsylvania does a great, um, day of giving called the extra give. Mm -hmm. And it is just a day where 500 or so nonprofits, I I hope I'm not making that number up, but I believe that's a pretty accurate number. Kind of the whole day is about giving and it's kind of like a, a, festival of giving and it's happening like in pre 2020 times it was like downtown was a giant takeover they took over the marriott hotel and there were lights and shining things so this year it'll be virtual but Uh they've raised in a single day they've raised 10 million dollars wow in our county of five hundred thousand people holy cannoli all of wow. the, the many nonprofits in this area really look forward to this as like a, you know, a major injection in their fundraising. And yeah. really it's just a day to like hold each other up and to recognize the philanthropy and to recognize who's being served. 
um, right. and who's doing that service. Um, so we'll be participating in that. And we have an artist who's going to be drawing a mural for that, painting a mural on a, a wall downtown. Um, Very cool. So that's extragive.org is if anybody wants to check that out, but extragiveback.org. Extragive.org. Extragive.org. Okay. It's just a really cool thing to check out, even if you want to think about something for your own community. Um, Awesome. I wonder what's the date on that? Because I wonder if your episode will be out by then. It might. It might. We might be able to get November 22nd. I think I can get this. Yeah. I think I can get your episode in in time so that people, if you want to check this out, it's probably instead of two weeks away, it might be about a week away um, from when you hear this, but yeah, very cool. And then you can look for Revolution Lancaster on their website if you want to donate or visit revolutionlancaster.com if you want to look at the beautiful jewelry. It's some really cool looking jewelry, by the way. Some very yeah. cool stuff. So yeah. awesome. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, Christmas is coming. <laughs> oh, she's, well, you guys can't see, but yeah, right. Shannon is, we're on a Zoom call here and Shannon is modeling her, her <laughs> bracelets and necklaces for me. And oh yeah. my God. So cute and pretty. Ah, uh, very cool. Shannon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I just, total I knew I was gonna love having you here to talk to and it's so funny because sometimes the conversations I'm like it, it was one of those great ones where it was like I just feel like we met to have coffee like I yeah, oh good <laughs> that's good I because I was like gosh it's it's weird to talk about yourself isn't it I it mean, is it so is I'm always like I'm not quite so I kind of look at it as like a coffee chat <laughs> maybe I rename the maybe I'll rename the podcast coffee chats or something like that <laughs> Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about Shannon, the What Works Network, or Revolution Lancaster, I'll have that information for you in the show notes. Just go to lakebloomerliving.com slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 24. Hey, next week is Thanksgiving, and I hope you'll join me for a special episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you got something out of this today, please take a minute to leave a rating and or a review. If you're listening in the Apple Podcasts app, you can easily go to the main page of the podcast. Just scroll on down to where you'll see ratings and reviews, and you can choose anywhere from one to five stars to give it a simple rating super quick. And if you want to leave an actual review, scroll down just a little further and you'll see a little checkbox that says write a review. Reviews really help spread the word about the podcast, and I'd really appreciate your help. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.